Keith here. We've got a great lounge for you this month. Our plan is to spend this season focusing on ways to help you achieve your goals. We've got the same great music, entertaining radio theater, and interviews, but we're on a mission to get you where you want to go with humor and heart. If you get something valuable out of this podcast, we hope you'll take a moment to share a little something with us. Head to livefromthelounge.podcast.com, click the donate button, and slip us five bucks if you can, or ten, or a hundred. We're not picky, just grateful. Thanks for listening. Hey there. Welcome to the first lounge of 2022. Really, it's just the 14th lounge that ever was, but how sexy is that? So let's set off a virtual firework display, clink a glass of virtual champagne, and slur our way through a song with words that aren't entirely clear even when we're sober and celebrate this new beginning. We're back, and we're starting the new year with a collection of stories, songs, and conversations, all intuitively designed to help you groove with the rhythms of the seasons. This month's theme is Start Smart. Matt Almos will be along shortly to share with us the story of starting his first job and how it took him back to the future. Double Batch Daddy have a new tune to share with us. I'll talk with the Pink Lady about the art of reinvention. Ann Kloss Farley and I will share our favorite films of 2021 and pair them with a recipe designed to upgrade your home theater experience in a fundamental way. And later, we're embarking on a metaphorical trip to an actual location that'll get you thinking about how to approach your New Year's resolutions in a way that gives them the best chance to succeed. So, here we are. A brand new year. The slate is wiped clean and anything can happen. Anything that is except being outside in the sun after five. Sunrise in Los Angeles came at 6.58 this morning and it sets just after five o'clock this evening. That's almost 15 minutes more daylight than a month ago, but we're still a ways away from throwing a frisbee together in the park after work. If we're doing it right... January is a time of anticipation. Football fans are getting geared up for the Super Bowl. Baseball fans are getting excited for spring training. And entertainment enthusiasts can look forward to a slew of award shows coming down the pike. Anticipation is good for us. Anticipation is connected to our capacity for hope but it's also connected to our capacity to make change happen, to understand the way the world actually works, and to align ourselves with the patterns that unfold over the course of a day, a year, and a lifetime. If the year were a day, January would be the deep, dreaming hours of the middle of the night, where we restore and rest ourselves so that we can be most effective when the sun rises and it's time to get to work. In the winter, the farmer dreams up the rolling fields of summer corn, watermelon, and squash. She plans her seed order. She calculates the water she'll need. She imagines a late frost or damaging storm, and she prepares for it with the clear-eyed anticipation that crops will grow if they're planted and tended well just like they always have. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., whose birthday we celebrate this month, made the dream a central focus of his life's work. He made the dream of ending segregation on buses in Birmingham, Alabama, a reality by organizing people to embrace the clear-eyed hope that's contained in the phrase, all of us are created equal and are endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights like life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Not surprisingly, the dream caught on, and the work of boycotting buses in Birmingham, of organizing ride-sharing and carpooling services within the black community, of non-violently resisting unjust laws that go against the dream of all of us being created equal— 
led to the dream of desegregated buses becoming a reality. Once that dream was realized, it was time to grow the dream larger. For if we're really going to live into the ideal that all of us are created equal, then we need to live out that dream by marching peacefully into the jaws of an angry dog without losing hope. We live into the dream by sitting at a lunch counter and ordering a sandwich, being fully prepared to be humiliated and assaulted by those who believe we are created differently, knowing that the sight of that injustice only serves to spark a fire for the cause of equality. It's a dream that invites us to recognize that the arc of the moral universe may be long, but that it always bends towards justice, and it invites us to gather our soul energy along with the soul energy of others who share the dream of all are created equal to help bend that arc a little. Thanks to the collective dreams of millions of Americans, led by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., the moral arc of the universe bent a little more strongly towards liberty and justice for all with the passage of the Voting Rights Act of 1964 and the Civil Rights Act of 1965. In 10 years, the dream called All of Us Are Created Equal grew from Rosa Parks taking a seat on a bus in Birmingham, Alabama to a fundamental change in the laws of the United States of America. That's what a dream can do. We shall overcome. We shall all be free. We'll walk hand in hand. We are not afraid. We are not alone. We shall not be
Everybody's got to start somewhere. This is just a fact. But they also say the longest journey begins with a single step. That's true too. But where you start from and where you choose to step can make all the difference in the world, as Matt almost discovered in the summer of 1985. Back to the Future: A True Story with Epilogue and Lesson by Matt Almos. In the summer of 1985, I was 16 years old, and I needed a job. I had recently purchased a 1978 Volkswagen Dasher station wagon from a family friend for $1,000. I needed to make money for the payments, and I needed money for the various other things that 16-year-olds bought in the year 1985, such as movie tickets, records, fast food, and fluorescent clothing. My friend Lance worked in the electronics department at Gemco. This was my dream job because Lance got to wear a tie, which seemed very adult and made Lance look cool. In the summer of 1985, however, the electronics department at Gemco wasn't hiring. Neither was the pet store or the donut shop. Not even Wendy's was hiring. I mean, Jesus. So I popped a mixtape into the cassette deck of my 1978 Volkswagen Dasher station wagon and just started driving around the city, insistent on finding a job. If there was a help wanted sign in the window, I went in and applied. If there wasn't, I went in and asked for an application anyway. Finally, I came across a neighborhood business I had not seen before. Papa Maroni's Pizza was hidden away at the end of a strip mall that was anchored by a 7-Eleven. The pizza place had a sparkling new sign that popped off the top of its roof and screamed for attention from the 7-Eleven patrons, as well as the cars speeding by on the nearby freeway. Underneath the sparkling sign was a pristine canvas banner with the words "Grand Opening." I parked my 1978 Volkswagen Dasher station wagon and went inside. Behind the counter were a young couple, both in their 20s. She had long, dark, curly hair and a friendly smile. He was a bigger guy with a mustache, a mullet, and an equally friendly face. His name was Brian. The woman with him was Anna Lisa, and she was his fiance. Today was literally the first day that Papa Maroni's was open for business. Tomorrow they had a major insert that was going out in the penny saver, and they were eager to get a few drivers on board. Brian asked me if I had my own car. I told him I was the owner of a 1978 Volkswagen Dasher station wagon. He hired me on the spot, and I started the next day. When I showed up, Brian gave me a red T-shirt with the Papa Maroni's logo. He also gave me a trucker's cap, white foam in the front with the logo and red mesh on the back. The cap was just simply gigantic. It puffed up high on top of my tiny little head and somehow made it look even tinier. Clearly, the cap was made for a large, manly skull—a skull which I, sadly, did not possess. 
After I changed into my uniform, Brian showed me around the shop. He showed me how to fold pizza boxes. He showed me how to use the heavy-duty electric slicer for onions and pepperoni. As he showed me these things, he coached me and shared life lessons. If you want to get ahead in this world, you got to hustle. You got to work hard, Matt. Don't ever forget that. And then the phone rang. Annalisa answered it. It was Papa Maroni's very first delivery order. The customer had a coupon from the penny saver for a price buster pizza, basically a pizza with the works. Brian sprang into action cooking it. He placed the pizza inside one of the cardboard boxes that I had folded. Annalisa placed the box inside a padded envelope that kept it warm. I picked up the envelope. This was a big moment for Papa Maroni's, for Annalisa, and especially for Brian. As I headed out the door with their first delivery, he cried out to me, Let's go, Matt! Let's hustle! The quicker the time, the bigger the tip! The quicker the time, the bigger the tip! Yeah! Let's go! I liked Brian. He was warm and kind. His advice was well-intentioned. But it was also supremely fucking annoying, even after one day on the job. I drove to the customer's house. I knocked on the door of a duplex, and a man opened it. He immediately gave me a funny look. I handed him his Price Buster pizza, and he thanked me. First, he handed me a $10 bill. This is for the pizza. And then he handed me $3. And this is for that hat. (laughs) He burst out laughing as he slowly closed the door. I walked back to my car, took off my hat, and never wore that fucking thing again. As the weeks passed, business picked up at Papa Maroni's. The fact of the matter was that Brian made a damn good pizza. Pretty much everyone I delivered to was nice and would leave me a tip. Sometimes things got weird. Once I had a customer order seven pizzas. I delivered them and handed the customer the bill for $67.50. He looked at the bill and looked back at me. $67.50? $67.50? I wouldn't pay $67.50 to see Jesus climb a rope. As far as I could tell, Brian and Annalisa worked 12 hours per day, seven days per week. They were happy the business was off to a good start, but they were definitely starting to run on fumes. One day, I came in, and Annalisa seemed to be in a bad mood. I went into the back of the store and got to work folding pizza boxes. Brian came back and sat near me. Hey, Matt, can I ask you a question? I really want to take Annalisa out to see an early matinee tomorrow. Do you have any advice on what would be a good movie to see? Immediately, I knew the answer. Brian, you have to see Back to the Future. It's so good. It's such a great story. It's so funny. I absolutely loved it. I was telling the truth, of course. If you were 16 years old in the summer of 1985, you saw the movie Back to the Future, and you loved it, because it's still one of the greatest popcorn movies of all time. The next day when I was at work, I asked Brian what he thought of the movie. As long as I live, I'll never forget his answer. Boy, that Marty McFly, he really had hustle. He went back to the future, and he really made it happen. There was an awkward pause where two thoughts came to me simultaneously. The first thought was spent picturing what actually happened when Brian and Annalisa went to the movie theater. I imagined the lights going down, the movie starting, and the perpetually exhausted Brian falling asleep five minutes later. My second thought was that this guy was really big on lessons, particularly the lesson that goes along the lines of good things happen to those who work hard. Did Marty McFly work hard? Did he hustle? I mean, I guess he did. It just wasn't the main thing I took away from the movie, I suppose. Summer ended and my senior year began. I continued delivering for Papa Maroney's, but it was starting to wear me out. More importantly, it was starting to wear out my 1978 Volkswagen Dasher station wagon. 
On top of that, business kept growing, but the ranks of drivers didn't. I was hustling all right. I was going back to the future and making it happen every night. I thought of Brian's advice on that first day. The quicker the time, the bigger the tip. The quicker the time, the bigger the tip. Yeah, let's go! And started to realize that my quickness was being compromised by his business decisions. And that affected my income. It seemed a little unfair. The last straw came in October of 1985 when I delivered a thin crust pizza. When the man opened the door, I handed him his pizza. So that's $9.85. He held up his hand as if to silence me. Then he cracked the box open and examined the pizza inside. He handed it back to me. It's not thin enough. Excuse me? If I wanted bread, I'd go to a bakery. I was stunned and angry. I drove back to the shop and dropped the pizza box on the counter in front of Brian. He said the crust wasn't thin enough. What? Brian grabbed the box and opened it. What in the hell is he talking about? Brian was fuming. This was going to be great. Brian was going to get on the phone and tell Mr. Thin Crust to fuck right off. I couldn't wait. Brian looked me in the eye, softly shaking with rage. Oh man, I'm gonna show this guy. You just wait. I'm gonna make his crust so thin. He held up his thumb and index finger in front of his eye and scrunched them close together to help me envision just how impossibly paper thin this crust was going to be. And then he walked away and started making it. 30 minutes later, I delivered it Mr. Thin Crust accepted it, and I received no tip. Goodbye, au revoir. Thanks for the memory. When November rolled around, I learned that the electronics department of Gemco was hiring extra workers for the holidays. I didn't hesitate for one moment. I applied and got the job. And my chapter, working for Brian and Papa Maroney's, came to an end. Epilogue. Out of respect for Brian, I feel it's appropriate to impart some lessons from the story you've just heard. Here's one. If you were 16 years old in the year 1985, there's a decent chance that you were a fucking idiot. I took the job at Gemco and wore my tie every day that I went to work, but it didn't take me long to realize that without the income from tips, I was making a small fraction of what I had been making at Papa Maroney's. What's worse is that the job at Gemco shortchanged me in the currency of memory. I remember working at Gemco with my friend Lance. That's really all that I remember. But for some reason, my brain is still crammed with details of the five months at Papa Maroney's, driving around my hometown, listening to music, discovering new streets and cul-de-sacs waiting for the doors to open for a brief meeting with a new character. The energy in the room when Brian and Annalisa launched their dream together. A recent internet search revealed to me that Papa Maroney's closed five or six years ago, after a run of about 30 years. I have no idea what Brian's up to these days. Was he the worst boss I ever had? Far from it. Was he the best? Nope. But after a few decades, I feel like maybe I understand him better. Though I can't pinpoint the exact time and place, somewhere in those five months was a coming-of-age moment. A moment where I realized that businesses are motivated to extract as much value as they can from their workers while paying them as little as possible. When you feel that agenda coming at you in the form of pep talks urging you to hustle and go back to the future, you can feel it. You sense the bullshit, even when you're 16. So you look for a new job, or at least you get to wear a tie and hang out with your friend. You grow up and eventually become a boss yourself. You urge your workers to hustle. Some of them do, some of them don't. You go back to the future. You make a little money. You buy a few things. And in quieter moments, perhaps you take stock of your wealth and the currency of memory. 
Valley Animal Services is more than a place to find your next pet. With six locations throughout the city of Los Angeles, LA Animal Services also offers support services for pet families, like the pet food pantry and monthly advice panels for dog, cat, and rabbit guardians. Another thing LA Animal Services offers is a chance for animal lovers to make a difference by getting involved. You can have a positive impact on animals in our community by adopting or by joining the team as a foster parent or a volunteer. Find information on how to access services and how to get involved at LAAnimalServices.com. If I told you I want you to meet my dear friend Jackie Goldberg, you might go along with that if you knew and trusted me. But if I invited you to meet the Pink Lady, wouldn't you be a whole lot more intrigued? Allow me to introduce to you a woman in her 90th year of life who's been brave enough to start over and reinvent herself time and time again. In fact, when we talked last week, she and her beau were just getting settled in their new house. Here's my conversation with my dear friend, Jackie Goldberg, the Pink Lady. I've been such a fan of yours, and I'm so thrilled to welcome you uh, to Live from the Lounge. And I am so thrilled to be here. I tell people that this is, Keith, the best time of my life in my 90th year. What, what makes it the best for you? What gives you the joy that you have? You know what? It goes back, and I got to tell this little short story, okay? Um, I was four years old in Boston, and I was on a street corner with my mother, who was eight months pregnant with my sister. She was holding my hand and the wind was blowing and it was freezing. And we were waiting for a bus to go see my dad who was at the county hospital at that time. The bus stopped. And I can remember this like it was yesterday, Keith. And the bus driver looks at my mother and he looks at me and he went, I am so sorry, but we're loaded. You know, you have to wait for another bus. And I remember dropping her hand, jumping up in the stairwell of the bus putting my hands on my hip and saying, excuse me, but isn't there a gentleman on this bus who let a lady sit down? Four men got up and we sat down. But on that day, Keith, what happened to me was my attitude was born and I let no one ever rain on my parade. That particular moment made me who I am with an attitude, a positive attitude, with lots of gratitude, naturally. We're going to talk about all of the work that you're doing uh, in live theater, but you had a, a rich career before that. Um, you want to talk a little bit about what you, what your life was like before you became the pink lady? In life, you have a choice of who you are very early in life. Something happens to everybody at a moment and you're either a victim or a survivor. I got married in those days. I got married at 17, had my first little one at 18. By the time I was 25, I had three children, all under the age of eight, and my husband died. And at that moment, I could have been just a victim. Poor me, oh my goodness, what do I do? Poor me, I have to depend on everybody else, and I didn't do that. I looked in the mirror, Keith, and I said, hey, you are not a victim. You're a survivor. I only had a high school education. But at that moment, I knew that I was going to take care of my children. I was going to get a career. And I was going to make a life for myself at that age. And that's what I did. I went to school. I became a manicurist. And I met my second husband, who was the best sales rep for women's wear in the country. And when we got married, he said, you know what? You've got the best personality. You are outgoing and alive and everything. He said, I'm going to make you a salesperson. So I uh, started at the California Mart. Anyone in California knows it, it's the big district for women's wear. And one day I was walking, and I wore all colors in those days. So I was walking down the Mart, and someone who wanted to talk to me forgot my name and said, hey, I'm a pink lady. My husband, who was a marketing genius, he said, come here, Pink, come here. 
You are now going to be called the pink lady of the mark. From that moment on, I was the pink lady in my clothes and everything. And I brought it then to my personal life. And that just brought me out into the world with a brand. And that brand literally, Keith, I think made me who I was to people. People don't forget once they meet me, the pink lady. Jackie Goldberg is gone. So you, so you became the pink lady yes. while you were working in women's wear right. in, during that period of your time. But you came to a, a point in your life where you kind of felt like putting that behind. I was a widow at 25, 26. I then became a widow after 39 years at 71. Now, there is a big difference between 25, 26, and 71. So again, the choice was, am I a victim? Oh, I'm so old and I, and I lost my husband and I'm going to sit at home. No, I decided to make a whole new career for myself. And I love show business. I always loved show business. That was my dream someday to be an actor. 71, I said, you know what? I'm going to get a career. I'm going to start. I went into a contest, Ms. Senior California, Messina, L.A. County, and I won. I asked the judges, there were five judges, you know, why me? Why did you pick me? I don't sing or dance. I mean, I did a monologue of Shakespeare's To Be or Not To Be, and it was to age or not to age. That is the question. And I said, why me? And they said, you epitomize what aging with grace and dignity and exuberance is. And that's what we were looking for. It was in the paper. Pink lady wins, you know, um, a contest. I got a call from an agent. He got me out there. I did um, a Super Bowl commercial, everybody. I did a, um, just last, uh, two years ago, I did um, Katy Perry and Taylor Swift. You got to stay calm. I was like the center of attraction. (laughs) (laughs) Time of all. Anyway, but then I realized that there were people out there of an age, over 60, who really were victims. And they felt it's over. And I started Senior Star Power. That was my 501c3. And what it was, was I did 12 shows with people that were 60, 70, 80, and 90. Can you talk a little bit about how that idea came into your head and What steps you took at the very beginning to begin to make that dream a reality? Nothing was going to stop me from doing it. And when I decided I had to find a theater, I pounded 45 theaters, so help me God, in NoHo, that district with all millions of little theaters. And I found a woman who used to be an actress. And she said, I want to help you. And what do you want to do? I want to do a show, a musical. And I want to have people that are only 60. Oh, she said, no one's going to come. <laughs> and I said to her, I said, everyone will come. Because there's nothing like this in L.A. at all. Palm Springs had the Follies. And that's what I wanted eventually was a theater for seniors like the Follies in L.A. And we started with the first show. And they all volunteered. I had 32 people. It was like, it was really like not really a musical. It was almost like just a variety show. But every one of them was a star in their own right. Yeah, we did it for eight weeks. And on weekends, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, every one of them said, Pink, you gave me my life back. We had, we had one lady, Clyda Mahoney, who's now 93 was a Miss California and Miss Senior World, singing and dancing. At the, I started with her when she was about 82. When people think of age, they don't think of the person. They just think of the number. And that's wrong. When I tell people I'm in my 90th year, they look at me, they go, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, come on. They, they always say to me, you know, what makes you tick, you know, pink lady? Well, what makes you go? And I say, my vitality, and my gumption to live life as it is. Someone says, your energy, Pink, where do you get it? Keith, I just have it. 
That's the thing that God gave me. He didn't give me a voice, didn't give me a dance thing. He gave me an enthusiasm and a zest for life. Kermit the Frog says, it ain't easy being green. Well, I say, it is easy being pink. I tell people, it's, it's not the breaths we take in life, Keith. It's what you do at any age with the breaths you have. As you can hear, the pink lady is a force of nature. She's busy at work realizing her dream of creating a permanent theatrical home for senior star power. And she hosts a regular interview show called Pink Lady Presents, which you can find on YouTube and at pinkladypresents.com. Her book, Get Up, Get Out, and Get a Life, is available at Amazon.com. We'll be right back with Dinner and a Movie, but first, here's a clip about Starting Strong from Friend of the Lounge, Joe Hernandez-Kolsky, when he appeared on HBO's Deaf Poetry Jam in 2008. What up, y'all? How y'all feeling? Thank you so much for letting me share with y'all tonight. I'm really excited to be here. Now, I've been writing a lot. Now, normally, I do not preface my poems, but this is definitely the place and time. I just wrote this in one sitting, and it's, it's very raw, so if I lose my place, it's a work in progress. It's a real rough trap, but I got to bust it here tonight. Can you guys hear me in the back? All right, cool. All right, this poem is brand new. I didn't get a chance to prepare it yet. I'm going to try and pull something different off. All right, all right, let me just jump into it. Actually, no, I'm gonna do this other piece. Yeah, my heart's telling me to do the piece I got memorized. Okay, y'all, this is, I'm sorry, y'all, I wanted to try something new, but you know, this is HBO and I only get this one shot, so let me do this. I have to say that I was half asleep when I wrote this, so it's definitely grammatically incorrect. I mean, y'all can listen to it, but I'm not responsible for the third line in the second stanza where it doesn't quite rhyme, and there are four syllables where there should be five, but my girlfriend at the time called, and she was totally freaking out, and she broke my rhythm, so don't hold it against me. It's not my fault. That's, that's what I'm trying to say. All right, so I'm going to do this poem. Unless, DJ, you want to drop a beat now, freestyle. Uh, no, let me do this piece. All right, this piece is entitled, No Disclaimers. <laughs> Thank you. Hey there, welcome back. It is time for the Dinner in a Movie segment here on Live from the Lounge. Keith Farley here with my beautiful wife, Anne Kloss Farley. Happy New Year, Anne. Happy New Year. Have we not been watching a lot of movies lately? We have. We've been watching a ton of movies lately. We're catching up. What I thought we would do is just sort of run down our top five. Yep. And we have some that overlap, and then we have some that are uh, unique to our own personal sensibilities. All right. <laughs> Let's start with Paul Thomas Anderson's Ode to the San Fernando Valley in 1973, Licorice Pizza. Loved it. Loved it. Every bit of it. I love his films because they're our neighborhood. and, um, and the, He loves the valley. Yeah, the Paul history of where we are at. It's one of my favorite films this year because it is, um, there's a sense of honesty to it. And it's about relationships um, with different ages. But sometimes those ages, they, they meet at this crossroads where you're actually at the same place in life. Well, he's a very m mature 15-year-old. And she's a bit of a stunted 25 years. She's very old. immature. And that's that's the fun of it, is that he's sort of batting above his weight and she's kind of batting below hers, and they kind of find a way to meet somewhere in the middle while traipsing around the San Fernando Valley. Great movie. Another one that we agree on was The Green Knight, David Lowry's retelling of the Arthurian legend, which we featured on this podcast last March. Yeah. It was just a uh, story that I stumbled on doing research about the greening of the spring. And I stumbled on this Arthurian legend. Uh, I called him Gawain. In the movie, they say Gawain. Yeah, you just like Gawain because it sounds like Bill and Ted. Gawain is so great because it, sound, it sounds like the dork that he is. Yeah. It's, it's a beautiful film. takes its time. It feels like a Sunday afternoon when you've got some time just to, like, 
eat nachos and and watch a really good Arthurian legend. I mean, this is a movie that if you're into uh, mind altering substances could might really benefit <laughs> from uh, a, a mind altering substance or two. It is it takes its time. It weaves a spell. It's a movie that um, if you could see it in a movie theater, you're going to really appreciate it. If not, block out some time at home. Sit with this movie. It, uh, it'll get under your skin. Here's another movie that we really liked. A movie called Come On, Come On. Oh, yeah. Written and directed by Mike Mills. Starring Joaquin Phoenix. And Gabby Hoffman. And newcomer Woody Norman. Oof. Amazing, that kid. Joaquin Phoenix plays an audio sort of podcast host. Yeah. Who travels around the country interviewing kids about what they're what they think the future is going to be like. And those interviews are interspersed throughout the movie. They're amazing. Heartfelt. Gabby Hoffman and Joaquin Phoenix play a brother and sister uh, who haven't spoken in a year because they had uh, a falling out over the death of their mother. But they reach out to one another. She reaches out to him because she's got to deal with her husband, who is a bipolar conductor who's just got a job in Oakland conducting a symphony, and he's starting to sort of unravel a little bit. So she's got to bounce up there to take care of him, and she asks Joaquin Phoenix, will he come in and take care of her son? So it's about the way they related to their mom and the way they relate to the kids, and it's just filled... And to each other. And to each other. The direction and the tone of the piece is just impeccable. And I felt that this was probably the most profound movie in decades about relationships. It was almost like a guidebook. It's a movie that will will reaffirm your faith in the ability of people to take care of each other. Right. Let's go to the flip side of that family dynamic and talk about a movie that we both absolutely adored, but is a little bit on the dark side, way on the dark side, in fact. And that's Jane Campion's The Power of the Dog. Ugh, so I don't good. want to say anything about no, this me movie. Neither. I just want you to go see it. It really is not just one of the best movies I've seen this year, but maybe one of the best movies ever made. Yeah, Jane Campion, she is a master. I feel like as a filmmaker, she's even more lifted. And that, to me, says so much when you see a master filmmaker who who's engaged in the next level of who they are. Whew, we got a treat. From a storytelling perspective, from a cinematography perspective, from an acting perspective, attention to detail is the key. I think we've talked about 15 minutes. We haven't even gotten to our main movie, Keith. Let's get to the main movie. We have one that we agreed on that we both really liked that also really dovetails nicely with our theme of the month, Mm -hmm. which is to start smart. And that movie is King Richard, which is in theaters and it's on HBO Max. A fantastic movie about the the Williams sisters, Serena and Venus, uh, and how their father, Richard, um, was an instrumental force in their life in creating two of the best tennis players the world has ever seen. It's the best biopic I've, I've ever seen. This movie is done with such tender care and everyone is so fully realized and it is a powerful movie about a father with a plan for his family and for his his daughters i have to say will smith disappears i i did not see will smith in this movie he blew me away one of the most charming actors that the world has ever seen yeah but i put him alongside benedict cumberbatch in power of the dog oh yeah in terms of a performance where you lose the actor in the character. You don't see Will Smith. You see Richard Williams. He formulates a plan to make his children the best that they can possibly be, while also allowing them to be children. Right. This is a, this is a family man. And um, they're not a perfect family, but, they, but what they do is they love each other and they trust each other. Woo-hoo. It was so faithful as if uh, Venus and Serena and Richard were behind the camera every day on that set saying, yep, yep, nope, yep. There was this attention to these two living legends. It's a movie about love and respect and starting smart. 
it's with a plan, having a plan and going step by step towards achieving it. That's how it happens. King Richard, that's uh, that's our movie recommendation of among many this month. So to pair King Richard or Licorice Pizza or Dune or any of these movies, there really was only one choice for uh, food to go with that goes with the movie. Popcorn. You gotta have popcorn. Gotta have popcorn. You gotta have popcorn. <laughs> I've been making you popcorn since we first started dating. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have to think I'm pretty good at it. I have to give props to my father uh, and my sister, who both taught me a couple of things about popping corn that I will now share with you, dear listener. My dad always made corn in a pan, just a little bit of oil in a pan, drop two or three kernels into that pan, let those kernels pop, then you know your oil is ready. One kernel deep on the bottom of the pan and then cover it. Give it a little gentle shake. You'll start to hear the kernels popping pretty quickly. Once they're going, this is the tip I picked up from my sister, Gail. Lower that heat. Once it really starts, you really hear that popping going. Then you lower that heat to a low, low medium. And then just let slowly let it do the rest of its thing so you don't burn the kernels on the bottom of the pan. And then wait till they're about one to two seconds between pops like you would with a microwave popping corn. And then you just dump that in a bowl. And then the sky's the limit. It's delicious. It's delicious by itself. Salt, garlic salt. We used to do, um, uh, a little, or you throw a little butter in the pan while it's cooling. If you want to get a little butter on there to help the salt and stuff stick to it. Uh, and then you can do, we've done Parmesan cheese with cayenne pepper. Yep. That was a big garlic one for salt. a long time. Garlic salt. But if you want movie theater popcorn, <laughs> you want it to taste like it does at the movies? Yeah. Then what you're going to want to do is get your hands on some Flavacol. F-L-A-V-A-C-O-L. That's the secret ingredient that they throw in. It's a really, really fine salt and food coloring mixture uh, that gives it that orange hue. And just and it's really, really fine, so it sticks to the popcorn beautifully. And you want to put that in with your popcorn. So you take just a half teaspoon in, a, in the popcorn, and you just put sprinkle it in with the popcorn, shake it up, and then dump that in. And it'll actually coat the popcorn as it pops, and you end up with that movie theater popcorn. I don't know. Flavor call just sounds dangerous, but I trust you. Half a teaspoon for a whole bowl of popcorn. It can't possibly hurt you unless you're using too much of it. Okay. So there's a lot of great movies uh, to choose from. Break out the popcorn. All right, Ann. Let's get back to it. Pop, pop, pop. All right. I'm ready for some popcorn right now. You lost your mind. There's a phrase I use that means to really go after something I want. It's a catchphrase that demonstrates my commitment to stick with a project or cause until it's completed. I say, I'm taking this train all the way to Topeka. Let's take this all the way. Come on now, all the way. Ooh, all the way, all the way to Topeka. I've always thought it was a common phrase from the olden days that I'd picked up and incorporated into my vernacular. But if the internet is to be believed... Such a phrase never existed, so I guess I made it up. In my searching, however, I did discover that Topeka is a first people's word that means a good place to dig potatoes. So there's that. I'm going to ask you to indulge me and pretend that going all the way to Topeka is an actual phrase that a person might use to indicate their intention to achieve their goals. And furthermore... I hope you'll allow me to make the phrase literal in order to prove a point. Let's say we actually want to go all the way to Topeka. How does that happen? 
Well, there are those who would say that the best way for us to get to Topeka is to manifest Topeka in our minds, to sense and experience Topeka in all of its fullness. Their advice would be to give up the phrase, I'll believe it when I see it, and change it to, I'll see it when I believe it. If we can really believe in Topeka, Topeka is certain to manifest for us. How great would it be if, after manifesting Topeka in our minds, we magically got a phone call that offered us a job interview in Topeka? And what if that came with an all-expenses-paid trip? That would either be the craziest coincidence ever or an absolute testament to the power of our imagination. But what happens if Topeka doesn't show up? Does that mean we're failures at manifesting? Or just that we aren't doing it right? Should we give up? Or maybe we could take classes to get better at manifesting. Lord knows there are lots of folks out there who gladly take your money to teach you to get better at dreaming up what you want. There are others who'll tell you that if you want to get to Topeka, you should just go for it. What are you waiting for? There's no time like the present. Time is short. Topeka's out there waiting for you. You just need to get off your butt and go. Go, go, go. Let's say we follow this advice. And we jump in the car and we start driving to Topeka. It doesn't matter which way we choose to go. We're on our way. We're being proactive. We're movers and shakers. We're people of action. Woohoo! Topeka! Now, while I have no doubt that there's a small chance that you could get to Topeka this way, isn't it more likely that you'll just end up somewhere you never intended, out of gas, out of money, and out of patience? This might cause you to lose faith in being proactive and going after what you want. And maybe you'll just start to settle for whatever comes your way. The simple truth is that it's not that hard to get to Topeka. There are lots of ways to get there, and there are lots of ways to enjoy the city once you are there. And the best way to go all the way to Topeka is to employ a strategy that combines your ability to imagine with your ability to take action. You'll need to spend some time dreaming up what you want your trip to be like, and then you'll just need to take the actions necessary to make your dream a reality. For me, the dreaming up is the fun part. A quick trip to TripAdvisor provides me with a list of the top 20 things to see in Topeka. I'm pretty sure I'll want to visit the Evil Knievel Museum, despite the fact that he's from Montana, not Kansas. And I'll definitely want to visit the Brown versus Board of Education historic site. I always like to sample the local brews, so a stop at Happy Bassett Brewing Company, or maybe dinner at the Norseman Brewery and Pub in the heart of the Noto Art District would be on the itinerary. I've never been to an auto race, so it might be fun to take one in at Heartland Park. A quick stroll through the state capitol building might be nice, but then I'd want to get out to the zoo, which I hear is world-class. Or out to soak up some nature at the Ward Mead Park or the Ted Ensley Gardens on the shore of Lake Shawnee. For a one-of-a-kind experience, I'd head to a spot they call Truckhenge, which appears to be a yard filled with cars and auto parts skillfully sculpted into whimsical designs. I hear Ron and his missus are delightful hosts and that it's a donation-only experience. I always like to support local artists. I'd also want to visit the Topeka Civic Theater and Academy to see what they're up to. And I wonder if there are any bands or shows or festivals that might be happening while I'm there. Which brings us to the next consideration. When should we go all the way to Topeka? It looks a little chilly in the winter months, but in April, the tulips are in bloom. And as we head into the summer months, there's the Country Stampede, the Sunflower Music Festival, and the Spirit of Kansas Blues Festival that usually takes place during the July 4th weekend. I'd love to see the tulips, but the Blues Fest is really calling me. 
And the added thrill of being there on a holiday weekend has a certain appeal as well, although I do have a little trepidation about whether I'll feel at home in the heartland on what might be called the America First weekend. But what the hell, it'll be an experience. Let's do it. July 4th falls on a Monday this year, so I'll want to get to Topeka on Friday and head home on Tuesday the 5th. Okay, now I know what I want to do and when I want to do it. The next question to be answered is, how do I get there? Flying is an option. Several airlines have non-stops from L.A. to Topeka, but it's a holiday weekend, and the Friday to Tuesday option costs almost double what I'd spend if I chose to fly out on Wednesday. But then I'm in Topeka for a whole week. Plus, the extra two nights of lodging and food and drink could easily eat up the savings. What about a train? Amtrak has the Southwest Chief, a very famous and historic route, which leaves L.A. at 6 p.m. Wednesday and arrives in Topeka Friday morning at 5. In order to come back home on the train, I'd need to be ready to depart at just after midnight on Monday, and I'd get back to L.A. at 8 a.m. on Wednesday. That translates to three days on the train for a three-day visit. Huh. Driving is an option, albeit a fairly unpleasant one. Topeka's a 24-hour drive from L.A. We might choose to make an extended road trip out of it. Maybe take the northern route on our way out, plan stops in Vegas, Grand Junction, and Denver, come back through Santa Fe and Tucson. But now we're losing sight of our main goal, which is to get all the way to Topeka. After weighing these options, I'm going to choose to train out and fly back. I love train travel. And even if I don't opt for a room with a sleeper car, which is fantastic and includes delicious meals in the dining car, I do know a few insider tricks to make the trip super comfortable. But I want to avoid catching the train home in the middle of the night, so I'll fly back. Now, where do I want to stay while I'm in Topeka? Normally, I'd probably look for a vacation rental, but if I'm planning to be out all day, taking in the sights and sounds and foods of the city, it might be easier to opt for a hotel. There are a few near the train station. I'll pick one of those. The train drops me pretty early in the morning, so I'll plan to notify the hotel that I'd have to check in early. It'd be worth the extra expense to head right to a room with a bed and a shower after my long day, and two nights on the train. As far as getting around Topeka goes, I wonder what public transit's like in Topeka, and then I decide that I don't care. I'm just going to rent a car. I'll go with a company that'll pick me up at the hotel, take me to my car, and let me drop it off at the airport for my trip home. Okay. Now that I've taken the time to thoroughly dream up my trip to Topeka... It's time to get proactive and book the train, car rental, hotel, plane trip, festival tickets, maybe a dinner reservation or two. But before I do that, I want to tally up what it's going to cost. See if I can even afford to go all the way to Topeka. Will my schedule allow it? Will my finances? Can I afford to do all the things I want to do in Topeka? Or will I need to let some things go? Also, how much will I need to put aside in order to make this trip feasible financially? We'll dig into the process of letting things go next month. But for now, let's just be content to sit with the work we've done, dreaming up a trip that takes us all the way to Topeka. Where do you want to go in 2022? How are you going to get there? January is the season of New Year's resolutions, after all. Lots of us have fitness and weight goals this time of year. The gyms are crowded with folks jumping back into or starting a fitness regimen in January. But take a trip to your local gym in a month or so. You'll see how many have already fallen off. Lots of folks start draconian diet regimens on January 1st, and most of them flare out well before Valentine's Day. 
Why are we so bad at keeping our resolutions? I think it's because we fail to start smart. We dive into the new year with enthusiasm, but we almost never take the time to really dream up how to get where we're going. And here's the thing. That's what January is great for. It's dark and cold. Nothing grows in January. It's hibernation time. It's a time of year that is extremely well-suited for dreaming and extremely ill-suited for taking action. If your goal is to lose 22 pounds in 2022, let's take that train all the way to Topeka. There are a million ways to lose weight. There's only going to be one way that's right for you. So, dream it up. Are you comfortable calorie counting? Counting carbs? What does intermittent fasting feel like to you? Would simple portion control get you there? My Uncle John lost 50 pounds by simply cutting out what he called the three C's. Candy, chips, and Coke. Instead of starving yourself, why not take the whole month to dream up a diet plan that you can really imagine yourself sticking to? If your goal is to get fit, same rules would apply. Would you enjoy the repetitive focus of weight training? Or would you rather get outdoors and do some hiking? Maybe dancing sounds fun. Or just 30 minutes on a treadmill with a good podcast or playlist blaring in your ears is just what you need. Would joining a group help provide a sense of accountability? Or is it the quiet alone time of a run or a bike ride or a swim that feels right? Immerse yourself in the options until you find the one that works for you. Maybe you have career goals for 2022, or creative goals, or relationship goals. You can do anything you want. The possibilities are endless, and there are a million ways to get where you want to go. The key to getting there is to start smart by taking the time to dream up which way is the best way for you. How are you going to get all the way to your personal Topeka in 2022? I can't wait to find out. Tell us how you're going to start smart in 2022 by sharing your plans and goals with us on Instagram and Facebook. Or drop us a line at livefromthelounge640 at gmail.com. And that's our lounge. We wish you the happiest of New Year's. And we want you to know that we are here rooting for you to make your dreams come true. And reminding you that taking the time to dream is the very best way to ensure that that happens. Our dream is to keep this podcast coming your way month after month. If you like what you're hearing, we hope you'll take a moment to make a donation to help keep this show running. Simply navigate to livefromtheloungepodcast.com. That's livefromtheloungepodcast.com. Just click the donate button and share with us so we can keep sharing the lounge with you. Here's the who did what. Our lounge is produced by Ann Kloss Farley. Matt Almos and Carol Almos are our head writers. John Ballinger composed and performed our theme song. And you heard John's arrangement of We Shall Overcome which he sang with Tim and Tom Zender. Double Batch Daddy performed their new song, Billion Feet, as well as the All the Way to Topeka jingle. We've got their latest video on our site at livefromtheloungepodcast.com, or you can find it on YouTube. We heard Joe Hernandez-Kolsky perform No Disclaimers. Joe just released a new series of comedy videos entitled Will Abuelo Get the Vaccine? Starring Joe, alongside Rose Portillo, and the adorable Adriana Martinez. Catch it on YouTube as well. Charles Dayton provided the soundscape for The Big Question. And special thanks to the indomitable Pink Lady for taking time to chat with us about reinvention and starting over. I'm your host, Keith Farley. 
And we'll be back in a month or so with more stories, songs, and conversations, all intuitively designed to help you to learn, to love, to lounge. Oh, 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 oh,